Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we are going to be uh, looking at verses 1 through 40. 1 through 40. Why, on a communion Sunday, I'm reading 40 verses. I timed myself, and it took six and a half minutes. So, sit back and be ready to enjoy the story of Elijah at the uh, and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Now, from our perspective, it's difficult to understand how anyone could believe that Baal was the true God. We fast forward 2,800 years, and we know that Baalism is completely dead. No one worships Baal that I know of. We have the advantage of hindsight. We can tell that Baal is a false god and that the Lord is the true God. Yet for Israelites in the 9th century BC, Baal had many attractive draws. First, Baal was the state-sanctioned god of Israel at the time. It's difficult to stand against the power of the state. And Jezebel was trying to make the choice really easy for the people of Israel. Worship Baal or die. Doesn't leave you many options. And so many people went along to get along. Next, Baal worship was retro, which means old but cool. Baal had been worshipped in Canaan long before Israel came to settle the land. And there was something attractive about the tradition and the traditionalism that drew the people of Israel. Third, Baal promised to meet failed needs. He was the god of the storm and of fertility. Offering sacrifice to him may have relieved some anxiety about the coming rain season or about the fear of infertility. Giving him your worship may mean that he gives you his blessing. And finally, Baal did not require the same level of holiness that the God of Israel required. Right? Why does the Lord have to dictate the way that I live? Why can't I eat what I want? Why can't I take what I want? Why can't I sleep with whom I want? Why can't I worship how I want? Balaam promised high rewards with low demands. Come as you are and stay that way. Of course, today we don't have Baal worship. Yet we have our own versions, false systems of belief that are endorsed by our government and propagated through popular media. We have our traditionalism, dead worship of God that exalts the form but has no true substance to it, no worship. We have our churches that preaches a God that gives earthly rewards with no demands for holiness in life. Come and feel good about yourself and then go live morally perverse lives throughout the week. Yet all of these gods of our age are false. And generations from now will arise and they will wonder at our age's obsession with such deity. So then how are we to distinguish the true God? How can Israel choose the right God in the midst of such confusion? This is what our passage is about this morning. To display who is the real God. And what we will see come forth from our text 
is that the real God alone saves. So here now, the word of the Lord, 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and the mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them and to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the of the Lord's prophets by fifties in the cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer Him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood but to put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, He is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. For you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ablation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two shears of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the ablation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and that I have done all these things at Your Word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that You, O Lord, are God and that You have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we come to Your Word this day, give us that grace that we might not be like the people of Israel who limped between two opinions, but help us, O Lord, to see the truth of Your Word and to place our faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might know that He alone is the one true God. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Chapter 18 begins with the declaration that the Lord is going to relent from His curse upon Israel and bring merciful relief. As you remember, it hasn't rained now for three years and the people of Israel are growing desperate and the Lord has determined, we see, that He is going to relieve His people. You see, the drought that came upon the Israelites was a drought that was rooted in discipline. 
The Lord uses discipline to mercifully draw His people back to Himself, to draw their hearts back as we heard in chapter 18. The Word of the Lord is fulfilled with assurances that though the Lord brings discipline, His anger will not last forever. As Psalm 30 says, His anger is but for a moment and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This whole episode is aimed at revealing who is the true God. And it begins with a reminder that the true God is a God who saves through merciful relief to His people. His discipline lasts until it has accomplished its refining purposes. The other gods of this world cannot bring merciful relief. They demand, they require, but they cannot move on their own to bring mercy. All gifts and rewards must be earned. Yet the true God, after He disciplines for a season, mercifully sends His reign to bring relief. To his people. Baal could not bring relief. But the Lord has determined that he will do so. Now as soon as we hear that the Lord will send rain. We're brought back to the court of Ahab. And there we find this unlikely character. Amid the evil Baal worshipping regime. Is a faithful prophet of the Lord. Obadiah. Now. As we read about Obadiah, some may think that he is a bit of a sellout, a coward. How has he survived so long in the court of Ahab? He's scared to go back to Ahab with the news that Elijah has returned. And yet I think that Obadiah is a faithful servant of the Lord. Elijah was called to serve the Lord in one fashion and Obadiah in another The text tells us that when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. The Lord saved Elijah through miraculous bread, but He saved a hundred of His prophets through His faithful and shrewd servant, Obadiah. The true God saves through these faithful servants of His. Through those who are willing to risk their own lives for the lives of others. In contrast, we say Ahab. While Obadiah's concern is to preserve the lives of the Lord's people, Ahab is concerned with saving the lives of his horses and his mules. He says, perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. People are starving. Your wife Jezebel is seeking to destroy the lives of the Lord's prophets and you're concerned with saving your donkey. Ahab is contrasted with Elijah. For when Elijah presents himself before Ahab, the king wants to blame Elijah for the drought. Look at verse 17. It says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Ahab, the one who abandoned the Lord and sought the lives of the Lord's people, is calling Elijah the troubler of Israel. Yet Elijah is the faithful servant that the Lord has raised up to save Israel. He is the faithful servant who will bring the word of the Lord to the people of God. And with his word will come the life-saving rain. 
You see, Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Throughout the history of salvation, the Lord has raised up servants to save His people. Men like Obadiah that have used His position of power to save many. And men like Elijah that have boldly stood against the powers of the day and spoken the Word of the Lord. And 860 years later, the Lord would send another faithful servant who would offer His own life to save His people. For the one true God saves through faithful servants. And so the contest is set. The Lord has determined that He will bring rain, but not until the people of Israel see that He is the one true God. There will be this contest on Mount Carmel. And the God who saves is the true God. A bull will be sacrificed, and the God who sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice will be shown to be the one true God. Now, we might expect at this moment that there would be a great and mighty display of God's power. And of course, that will come. But before the exaltation of the name of the Lord, there is first a time of humility. For the true God does not save His people through pomp and showmanship. But the real God saves His people through lowliness and humility. We see this humility displayed in several ways. First, in the location of the contest between Baal and the Lord. Mount Carmel was not a neutral playing field. It was known as the Mountain of Baal. It is a grand outcropping of rock that juts out into the Mediterranean Sea overlooking the ocean. And here, Baal's prophets had a home field advantage. This was their turf. This was a home game for Baal and his prophets. Next, we see humility in the small number that represented the Lord. One prophet, verse 450 of Baal. And another 400 of Asher. One against 450 plus another 400 pagan prophets there to jeer at Elijah and cheer for Baal. We like numbers to show that we are in the right. In the church, we'll cover up all sorts of misconduct for pastors and church leaders, for false worship, as long as attendance is good. But the true worship was offered by one prophet against 850 false. We also see the humility of the Lord's ways as we compare the way the prophets of Baal called upon their God. We read in verse 26, They prepared the sacrifice and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, O Baal, answer us! And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Quite a show for the people that had gathered there. The prophets of Baal were very entertaining. Going about, cutting themselves, yelling and crying, carrying it on with their religious antics and meaningless chatter. If this were not enough, 
Elijah stacks the deck against the Lord by pouring water all over the sacrifice. Three huge containers of water poured on the sacrifice. How is the Lord to bring fire to this pile of soaking wood? And yet, the true God works in the midst of humble and unassuming ways. All the numbers of Baal make no difference. The Lord does not care that the contest is on Baal's turf, for all the world is His. He does not need His people to cut themselves and bleed for them. He does not even need dry wood to prove that He is the true God. And yet so often, we fall into the trap of believing that the Lord will only move if we would put more effort into it if we would pray harder, if we would serve more, if we would sing louder, or we would sacrifice more, then, then God will move and prove Himself. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying more and serving more and giving more. But we have to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, when you pray, Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, the true God does not save us by our many and our ornate words. He saves us not through our action and our service, Rather, He saves through humility and weakness so that His strength and His power might be seen. Elijah takes the opportunity to show the pathetic nature of this false god. As the prophets of Baal are heaping up empty phrase upon empty phrase, He says to them, Cry aloud, for He is a God. Either He is musing or He is relieving Himself. Or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Right? He says to them, yell louder. He might be lost in thought. He might be using the restroom. He might be on a vacation. Or he might be asleep. So call really loud and maybe he will answer you. But the Lord does not work that way. It is a false God who needs to be coaxed into saving His people. It is a false God who needs a show to move. The true God is ever present. And He never has a need that makes Him too busy to listen to His people. Look at the simplicity of Elijah's religion in comparison. In verse 36 we read Elijah's prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant and that I have done all these things at Your Word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that You, O Lord, are God and that You have turned their hearts back. Simplicity. Humility. That is the way that the true God moves. Why? Because the Lord is ever dedicated to showing that His salvation comes by grace and His power and not through the work of His people. 
Even as we read in Ephesians 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. But we want the shove. We want the frenzy. We want the ritual that will control God. But the true God does not work that way. He saves through humility and weakness. And when He sent His Son to save His people, He brought salvation through humility. For we read that Jesus was low and humble. There was nothing about His form or His station in life that would make anyone believe that He was the Son of God. And then He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on the humiliating cross. It is a false God that needs to allure you away with show and emotion and frenzy. For the true God does not save that way, but rather through lowliness and humility. So the prophets of Baal call out for hours. They whip themselves. They dance around. But apparently Baal is indisposed. So Elijah offers his simple prayer to the Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And then in verse 38 we read this. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. This is not the first time that the Lord sent fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice. And the book of Leviticus, Aaron is ordained as the priest of God's people. And when he offers his first sacrifice on behalf of the people of God, we read, And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. You see, fire from the Lord to consume the sacrifice is a sign that the Lord has accepted the atonement made. It is the way that the Lord is telling His people that the sacrifice that has been offered has been accepted and that there is now a way back into fellowship with Him. It is God who has turned back their hearts. They need not be estranged any longer. Though they were like sheep that had gone astray, following after the bales, the Lord has come after them. And even as we read in verse 37, you have turned their hearts back. You see, the true God pursues His people. While the prophets of Baal must call out to the Lord or call out to their false God and must whip themselves and must bleed themselves, the true God pursues His people. He goes after His people. And when He came in the person of Jesus Christ, He did not require His believers to cut themselves, but He gave Himself up and He poured out His blood on behalf of His people. For the true God does not require those who follow after Him to pour out their blood on His behalf, but rather the true God pours out His blood on behalf of His own people. This is how we see who the one true God is. He is the God who provides the atoning sacrifice. He is the one who turns His people back. So who is the true God? 
The true God is the God who saves. He saves through merciful grace, through faithful servants. He saves through humble means and He saves through atoning sacrifice. And this is how we know that we serve the one true God. Not because fire will fall from heaven when we call upon His name, but rather because His Son, Jesus Christ, has moved to save His people by merciful grace. Jesus, the faithful servant of God, humbled Himself to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that whosoever believes in Him will not receive death, but will receive life. So stop limping between two options. Between two gods, the Lord, the Lord God alone is the one true saving God. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you and we ask, O Lord, that you would help us to see the ways that we have turned to the gods of this world. For in times past, the gods, the false gods of this world had names and people called upon them. And yet in our day, in our culture, the false gods hide behind anonymity, lurking around. And we give our our offering of worship to them. Oh, would you open our eyes to see the ways that we have worshipped the gods of this world and give to us the grace to turn our hearts back that we might worship the one true God. We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.